0: Brian here with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you anytime if you're looking for a place to gather and worship. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, Instagram at Mid-City Vineyard, and online, midcityvineyard.org. For the last number of weeks, we've been in a series entitled... Breathing Underwater, and this series has really been about uh, kind of growing deeper roots, growing in spiritual maturity, so that when the, the waves and the waters of life actually come knocking on our door, we, we find ourselves in a place where we're not having to run away, or we're not drowning or even dying, but we have some of the tools that we, we need to survive, and to survive well. So this week, Uh, We entitled this one, Digging Deeper. This series is kind of going in line with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so this is uh, based off of the fourth step where we make a searching uh, moral inventory. So I'm really excited about this particular teaching. This is probably one of the more challenging steps. This is probably one of the more challenging things uh, when it comes to maturing and growing uh, deeper roots. But I encourage you to take a listen. And just see what kinds of things the Holy Spirit might be leading you towards. Thanks for checking it out. We'll head on over to the podcast. Much peace to you. So, tonight we're going to continue our series, Breathing Underwater. We've been, uh, what is this, this is the fifth part of our series now. I believe this series will go uh, probably 11, 12, maybe 13 weeks. And I truly, I mean, my prayer, as I pray for you guys, um, really each day, my prayer is that we would have ears to hear whatever it is the Spirit of God is saying to us. And I understand fully that the Spirit of God says different things to different people right when we need it, when we need it. But in these teachings, and as we dig into these scriptures, and as we look through and kind of uh, relate this to some of the, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or addiction recovery programs uh, and just seeing the kinds of things that that God may be doing in our own personal lives. I, my, I really I just I don't think I've ever felt as long as we've been a church this deeply about a, something that God is doing in us as a people. And so I, I encourage you take the, the the exercises and that you're given and, and press into this and just engage the Holy Spirit in this. Nathan, would you please, and Lucas, would you please hand these out? I do have these exercises, and this on the back is a blank sheet, so you could take any notes that you might like to take. Give Lucas a few. And take some. So tonight, uh, we start, and if you would like a Bible, there's paper Bibles right here on the communion table. You can grab one. If you do not own a Bible and would like one, you can take that Bible all the way home with you. But if we're going to be, uh, our main text tonight is Matthew chapter 7. Verses 4 and 5. First, I read this from uh, the NIV version, where Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the giant plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is this plank in your own eye? Don't pick out the speck until you pick out your own plank. Now, we've probably heard this before, maybe a number of times. But tonight, maybe we'll look at it from a little different place. In Alcoholics Anonymous, Step number four says, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I've been told that this is one of the most dreaded steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because the first step is kind of like, okay, we we come to an admission of our addiction. We, we, We admit that we're powerless. Uh, that second step, where, where we acknowledge a power higher than ourselves. That third step, which is also quite difficult, but we surrender to God as we understand God. But the truth is, those things are kind of, you know, it's, it's some head work. It takes some engagement of the heart. But when you get to this step, a fearless and searching inventory of oneself. I remember the first time that I was introduced to the idea of taking a personal inventory. I was reading this book, uh, and uh, it was called... I don't remember what it was called. That's that's beside the point. Very good book, though, in which the author at one point says, if you really want to know what people think about you try asking them and i thought man that seems like a wonderful idea stupid but wonderful and then i just kept reading in aa the personal inventory is intended to help the alcoholic dig down into why they drink because we've we've been talking in in AA or in other when it comes to other addictions the addiction is the manifestation of something that is taking place deeper so we dig deep in alcoholics anonymous or when it comes to other uh, abuse of other things We dig a little deeper to to see if we can start realizing. Well, what what are the things? What are the wounds? What are the scars? What is it that's tripping me up? What what is the jealousy or what is the pride or what 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 what, that seems to that I that I I'm I'm wounded in this area or I'm not healed in this area and it just keeps to seem to keep driving me. What are the secret places that compulsively lead me to drink away or drown away or drug away or or Consume away whatever it might be. Now, anyone who has actually taken the step in Alcoholics Anonymous knows, once they've taken the step, that it's more than just finding out what leads me to drink. Because ultimately, it's about finding those spaces and those places in our inner inner, inner place that need to be healed, that need to be dealt with, that need to come face to face with. If, indeed, we are going to be A real, genuine human being. One who is true to ourselves. And I would say the same could be and should be said for those who desire to grow a deeper faith. A deeper spirituality. Think about a tree that that grows and, and the roots you know, you could have a tree where the roots just go; they spread out across the top of the soil. Maybe they don't go so deep, and those trees are so easily uprooted in the smallest of storms. But you take a tree that's a hundred plus years old, like a, a giant oak, and those roots have sunk deep, deep, deep into the ground, and it takes something much, much, much stronger—her uh, Katrina style, if that. To uproot this type of tree. And if that's the type of spirituality that we're looking for, that we're desiring, then this would be a step that we could not skip. Those desiring to be mature, those desiring to be shaped and formed more deeply by the Spirit of the Divine. And so as it turns out, taking a deeper look at ourselves is actually part of the spiritual journey towards maturing. So I, there's really... Guys, there's no way around it. Do I want to grow in my spiritual maturity? Do I want to mature as a Christian? There's no way around not digging around then. There's just not. I believe it was Plato, I believe it was Plato who said the unexamined life is a life not worth living. I think Plato was on to something hundreds of years before Jesus came around. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Now listen to it again from a different version, different translation. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same kind of treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly smear on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's those, or it's, it's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing the holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part and staying in your lane. Wipe that ugly smear off of your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Jesus is the one that says, look at yourself. Look at yourself. In a world filled with people who are convinced that everyone else is the problem. Come on. I mean, how many of your problems really haven't been yours? But if they would just. And I get it. Because like, we're in this together. In a world full of people who are convinced that everyone else is a problem, or is the problem, I think it's time for us to take a look at ourselves. And this is the thing, this type of moral scrutiny, it's not to discover how good you are, and it's not to discover how bad you are. It's not to regain some moral high ground, but the idea here is to begin honest, what uh, Father Richard Rohr would call boxing, which is at the heart of spiritual awakening. It's at the heart of the spiritual awakening. The truth is going to set you free. That's what Jesus says. Jesus promised, listen the truth. He's talking about himself, but he's also talking about when you experience truth, even in your own heart, it will set you free. Make no mistake about it, though, sometimes the truth is very painful on the front end. Because when somebody begins down this path, it's important to realize that you might run into some things you don't like. And that's okay. Because you're not going to stay there. I think remorse is good. I think uh, necessary. It's, sad, it's necessary sadness, necessary humiliation that comes from seeing our own failures, comes from seeing our own weaknesses. How can we acknowledge our weaknesses if we don't know them? And that goes back to step, the first step, the first thing that we're looking to do in our growth in spiritual maturity. But remember, we do all of this, and don't ever do this without the Holy Spirit, because we do all of this, thinking back to last week, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, the divine one who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Remember the view of God we talked about last week. If your view of God is distorted as one who is abusive, as one who holds things and holds things and lords things over you, you, you won't be able to do this. You won't want to do this. But as our worldview as our paradigm, as our understanding of God as good and beautiful and loving and merciful and on our side. As that that understanding and that experience of God becomes more our experience, the easier it becomes to dig around with God because we're not doing it by ourselves. We're not in it by ourselves. And the goal here, and this is so important, the goal here is not to just get completely fixed or to find a way to not sin anymore. The, the goal here is actually the struggle and the encounter itself. That's where the growth comes in a lot of the times. The growth and the struggle. Or the, the growth comes from the struggle. I mean, it, the truth is, we know this. We all look back on times in our lives where there was a struggle. And nine times out of the ten, out of ten, we say, Yeah, I learned a lot through that. It was painful, but I learned a lot. That was hard, but it shaped me. And sometimes we weren't even cooperating with what God was doing in those situations, and God still figured out ways to to bring about. Just imagine if we're cooperating with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Not long after I read that book the first time, my dad, who was also my boss at the time, said, hey, we need, to, uh, we need to have a conversation. He said this at work, so I knew this wasn't a dad-son conversation. Oh, crap. At the time, I was about 24. I had been a, a staff pastor for two years now um, at a church of 1,800 people. Why anybody would hire someone to be a pastor at the age of 22, I have no idea. He was probably wondering the same question at this time. I sit down in his office. He says, listen, he says, uh, some 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 people have been coming up to me and they're concerned for you, concerned about you. He says, but uh, it's not just one person. It's not just two people, but it's, it's a good number of people. But uh, they've been saying to me that you really come across as incredibly arrogant. You've been coming across to people as kind of a know-it-all, kind of a holier-than-thou, kind of a, hey, look at me, kind of a, I've got position, uh, kind of a jerk. And I was like, you can stop anytime. <laughs> <laughs> he said it's not good. He says, people have told me that when they walk into the lobby and, and they walk past you, that you have an air about you an arrogant air. He says, and I need you to think about it. I need you to go home and I need you to process it. I need you to determine if you recognize it. And we need to have a few more conversations. uh, Because this, we can't just keep going like this. We can't treat people this way. I obviously disagreed with him. Uh, I mean, I was none of those things. These people that had told him these things, they were mistaken. I knew that, right? In AA, they call that denial. I like to call it my blind spots. That bit of chosen blindness, or what AA calls denial, that's the thing that allows us to keep just being the way we are without ever seeing a problem with it. It's the thing that allows us to keep being cruel to people without thinking we're being cruel because it's a blind spot or it's denial. It's the thing that allows us to continue being a, uh, a, a, a consumer of goods and a consumer of people without ever actually thinking it because we're in denial about it. We're not owning up to it. It's a blind spot. it's that thing that keeps lets us keep doing those things without thinking there's anything wrong with them because we're in denial. Or it's a blind spot. And we all have stuff that we can't see. We all have stuff that we dare not to see. And so what we do is we kind of create a shadow self. We wear a mask. We keep doing our thing. We keep up our persona. We keep up our image. And the more we do that, the genuine, true person that we are. It's further and further just tucked away, 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 tucked away. And you're becoming less and less who you were created to be and more and more this person, this protect, protector of image. It's not genuine. So here's what we need. I'm convinced of it. You're going to love this. We need conflict. We need conflict in our life. Now, show of hands, how many of you just hate conflict like the plague? <laughs> I know. Me too. And we need it. We need relationship difficulties. We need failures in our lives. We need defeats to our grandiosity. We need even enemies at times. Otherwise, we'll have no way to actually track down our shadow self. We'll have no way to figure out where we're faking it and what is happening here. These things that I just mentioned, they are necessary mirrors. Think about this. Conflict in your life is a mirror because all of a sudden you're face-to-face with someone that if you handle your conflict correctly, if you actually get face-to-face with them, now you're face-to-face, you're face-to-face with your, some of your own stuff. They're face-to-face with some of their own stuff. You're face-to-face with how am I going to learn how to receive criticism? How am I going to learn how to give back how I feel or give constructive Criticism or critique. How are we going to decide if we can stand as friends after this conflict? Or are we going to just... I I don't know what word I'm looking for. I was going to say pansy out and just walk away. We can. Or we can use it as a mirror. And we can see if we can't, maybe through the grace of God, actually come out on the other side stronger than when we went in. Conflicts, I hate, listen, I hate conflict. And when people call me and they're like, we need to talk, I'm always like, crap. I don't want to talk because I know what that means. But I tell you what, you call me and say, we need to talk. We're going to talk. Because how else are we going to work through it? We got to get there. And I need to know. And you need to know. And we need to know. It's a mirror. We begin to see truthfully. We begin to see fully. So Jesus, this is how we'll, we'll kind of finish this off. Jesus says, listen, I want you to take the two by four out of your own eye before you worry about other people's eyes. So that way you can stop blaming, you can stop accusing, you can stop denying you can stop displacing your problems. I want you to see. I want you to see truthfully. And this is not about good moral behavior. This is—I'm I'm not trying to. I'm not praising good moral behavior, and I'm not criticizing immoral behavior. So Jesus, so to speak. Instead, I'm talking to you about something caught in your eye. And I, I think that Jesus was convinced because if you get the eyes right, the other stuff is going to fall into place. And He does say that in other places. Get the eyes right. Get the two by four out of your eye, and the other stuff's going to fall into place. You realize that when you start to pull two by fours out of your own eye, other people's specks, you have more grace for those people. Have you ever noticed this in your own life? Do you know who has more grace for someone who's addicted to alcohol than anyone else? Uh, An alcoholic who's in recovery. Why? Because they're dealing with their own log. And they're like, yeah, I I see the (laughs) speck. But I got a log. So, you know, why don't we just do this together? And the thing about it is, I find that God doesn't just destroy the log. He doesn't just take away the log. I think God uses the log. God has this amazing way of taking the messed up stuff in our lives and in our eyes and using it for our own good. This God knows how to transform even the worst of evils into really good things. Okay, This God knows how to use our sin in our own favor. This God knows how to use our failure to bring us to greater... Places of power through him. So how does it work in real life? This is what I would suggest. After my dad sat me down, told me this was affecting my relationships, told me this was affecting my job, told me this was how affecting how people perceived me. I mean, how can you how can you really honestly stand up and and preach when you're you're kind of a, a butthead? And when people think you're a butthead. <laughs> A couple of weeks later, I read that book again. I was teaching a class this time. I was like, class, this is such a great book. I want to take you through this book. So we're going through the book, and I reached that paragraph again, that sentence. If you really want to know what people think of you, ask them. Well, I mean, I was already down and out. I mean, my dad had already kind of put that one on me. So I was already thinking. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to do a real experiment here. I think I want to get better. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask some people. So I drafted an email. I came up with three questions. And then I prayed about this, and I sent an email to four people. coworker, co-worker, a good friend, someone who I didn't think was a good friend, and one other person. I didn't pick people who were just going to tell me what I wanted to hear. I picked people who I knew would be honest with me. I knew they'd be ruthless. And I knew that once they were ruthless, I could still love them and treat them the same. That was important. Picked my people, drafted my email, and sent the email. I said, listen, I'm doing some real self-discovery here, and I need your help. I would really appreciate if you would answer these questions unbiasedly. I ask that you would pray about it and tell me what you think I need to know. Question number one. What kind of person do you see me as? Am I easily agitated? Am I easily angered? Am I arrogant? Manipulative? I just put all these adjectives in in parentheses. Question number two. How do you see me overall as a person? Am I fun to work with? Am I intimidating? Am I grumpy? Am I passive? The question was a very similar question to the first one, yet they found ways to answer them differently and equally devastatingly. Um, Number three, what blind spots do you see in my life that I might not be aware of? Now, here's the thing. If you decide to do any type of moral inventory like this, And you ask people to be honest, then don't expect anything less. And lay down your right to be offended. They're going to be scared to death to be honest with you. Scared to death. Because they know that if they're really honest with you, you might chalk it up on them. The answers came back and they were devastating. Devastating. I got the answers and literally went home and cried for a week straight. It was awful. I mean things like, well, Brian, I think you are a nice person and sometimes you're really fun to be around, but I do feel like whenever you walk into a room, you automatically assume that you're most, the most important person in the room. I have noticed that whenever someone in our, one of our meetings uh, becomes emotional, uh, you become uh, 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 very anxious, and you act as though they are lower than because they they shed a tear. I do want to say, Brian, that uh, sometimes the way you treat people, you're incredibly manipulative. <laughs> uh, I do. I, I'm thinking of, of quotes here. These were all. These were all um, uh, uh, things. I've noticed that if someone is not worth your time, you don't even bother speaking to them. <laughs> I'm like. Who decided that I thought somebody wasn't worth my time, but people were seeing this stuff. It was all over me. The answers just kept coming over and over and over again. All four people said the exact same thing. That's when I knew all four people had a problem. (laughs) I came to realize that I had blind spots. I had blind spots. And I came to realize that I wanted healing and I wanted to change. I came to realize that spiritual maturity does not just happen. No one just happens to grow up spiritually. But you have to grow into it. So I would say to you, maybe you've done this before, or maybe this would be a first time, but what would it look like in your own life to kind of start finding out and asking where your blind spots might be? Maybe you have blind spots as a husband or as a wife or as a partner. Maybe you have blind spots as a parent. Maybe you have blind spots as an employee. Maybe you have blind spots as a friend. But how do you know if you're blind? Maybe you have un, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you have unrealized fears. Maybe you, you have these fears that drive you, but you don't even know they drive you. The people who are close to you, they know they drive you, but they don't say anything because they don't want to rock the boat, or something like that. Here would be my suggestions. Number one, if you want to do some digging, do not dig alone. Call before you dig. You see what I did there? That was for Atmos, right there. (laughs) You are welcome. Call before you dig. Don't dig without the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139. Search me, God. God, I follow your lead. You search me. God, you know my heart. You test me. You know my anxious thoughts. See if there are offensive ways in me and lead me in the way of true, genuine, authentic life. (coughs) Don't do this without the Holy Spirit. Number two as part of this exercise as you engage other people, engage two people, engage three people. In that exercise, I had two very good friends who I did not ask for their feedback. I just asked them to walk through it with me. Kind of like, hey, look, I'm asking these people for some feedback, and when I get the feedback, I'm going to cry for a couple of weeks and be depressed, and then when I come out of that, would you walk through this with me? Would you, two friends, be the ones who kind of say, hey, remember that blind spot those people told you about? This is kind of, because your closest friends already see it. So I knew that, how that was going to work. Engage two or three people with you. The third thing is, practice times of solitude and silence in the middle of it. When you practice times of silence and solitude, consider your life. Consider your interactions. Consider your conflicts. Consider your reactions. Examine your own life. St. Ignatius talked about examining one's own life. St. Ignatius says that every evening before you lie your head on the bed that you would examine your life, that you would examine your day. How did those conversations go? Where did you experience God in that conversation? Where did you experience um, stress in that in that it, it, that was happening examine your day do this in silence and solitude and then the fourth thing take one thing at a time see for me it was like uh it was like drinking from a fire hose i might have asked too many questions but i was in the zone at that point because there's another story that happened in that time that i didn't even tell you about so it's like i mean it was like literally drinking from a fire hose it was coming at me from all directions but take one thing at a time. It's like, a, it's like an onion. Okay. All right, Holy Spirit. This fear of whatever is driving my life. And I'm a highly manipulative person. Which one should we take first? I want to work on both of them. But if I do both of them at the same time, it might kill me. So which one? I mean, I've got to be able to keep something. <laughs> no one just stumbles onto the road to spiritual maturity. No one just stumbles onto the road of growth. We don't just stumble there. And that's what we're doing here in this series. One is led. But even being led, the one leading would be the Spirit. The one following must still cooperate. The Spirit will never make you go where you don't want to go. But I I can't drive this point home enough. But if we want to be a church, a community of faith where we're growing deep roots, it's not going to happen on accident. It just won't. The Spirit leads, we cooperate. Our reflections for this week, you'll notice, and they're they're quite pointed, some of them. You'll even notice on Thursday, I want to bring your attention to it, And I want you to notice how it's worded because remember, these exercises, this is between you and God. Thursday, make a list of three people who you trust, who you would be willing to be ruthlessly honest with you. Consider the idea of asking them to share their truest thoughts and feelings about you as a person. Consider asking them how you come across, about blind spots, those things. Is this something the Spirit is currently leading you in? You see, do both parts of the question. The first Do the first part. Make your list. Consider it. But then you've got to do the second part. Is it something that you sense the Spirit of God leading you in? Don't go without the Spirit's lead, okay? Don't do it without the Spirit's lead. You'll notice, so I wanted to highlight that one. You'll notice that the other ones leading up to that get you to that place, so you'll have more going on there. Tonight, I would like for us to worship and share communion together. And in, in this song of worship, the song is called Form Us. I think it's very fitting. But here's how I'd like to do it. I'm going to pick the guitar up. I, I, I invite you to empty your hands and to, to remain in your seat. You can, you can sit as I begin to sing the song. As you reflect on what, what is the Holy Spirit inviting you into. As you choose, when you choose to come to the table tonight, the markers are on the table as they are every week. Last week we talked about surrendering. This week we talk about digging deeper, which is a a form of surrender. But if you have something that you want to leave at the table, something that you want to put at the table, something you want to write into our corporate story, I invite you to do that at the table tonight. Bring it to Christ. Allow Christ to take that. Allow the body of Christ, us, to take that and to absorb that and to participate in that with you. We take the bread tonight that represents the body of Christ. We break the bread. We dip it in the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. We share communion tonight as a community of faith, knowing in faith that Christ is present here with us. It is a means of grace. So whatever you need tonight when you come to the table, may Christ meet you in that place. If you need peace, may Christ bring peace. And I invite you to take it by faith. If you need hope tonight, receive hope by faith. If you need forgiveness, receive forgiveness by faith. If you need courage, receive courage by faith. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is present here tonight with us in bread and in wine.